And may God bless us now as we open his word. Once again, we're looking at 11.15 on the clock. Evan, once again, I'm pushing the thing we need to push. He knows what I'm talking about. Okay, he knows what I'm talking about. All right, friends, we're always making decisions. Throughout the weeks, days, months, and years of our lives, we're constantly making decisions. And I don't know that I can say every decision... But many decisions require prioritizing what the issues are at hand. Yesterday, Jeff Hansen made a decision in which he prioritized the quality of our experience here versus what he could do for his family. Because on his day off yesterday, he came here and he worked with this microphone. And he spent a significant amount of time, he made that decision to say, We need to be able to hear better, and we don't want to be messing with mics. He came. He says he thinks it's going to work. If not, well, we'll we'll have to go further. But he made a priority, you and your time here, to hear well. And he made that his priority. Uh, One of the priorities young people around here have to decide what is their priority is they have the opportunity to gain college credit while they're still in high school. We got Tyler sitting back here who made excellent use of that and I believe graduated high school with two years of college under your belt. Is that correct? So that he only had two more years of schooling to gather when he uh, graduated high school and he has just excelled in his field and that was he made his priority. I want to get my education early and there's values to that. You go buy a car, right? You buy a car, you either buy a used car with a lower price tag or a new car so you can have a warranty and it just works right. right? You, you prioritize what's most important in this. Well, our next observation as we return to the book of Hebrews, our next observation, we're going to make it about priorities. Now, here's what we're going to say, because by now we know that the 11th chapter of Hebrews is about faith. We hear that word repeated continually. And all that I want to develop is this concept here today, is that faith prioritizes our thinking. It sets things in a proper order for us. Now, here's what we've considered about faith so far. Faith points us in the right direction. That was the first thing we noted, because faith links the immaterial world with our internal world, so we can live differently in the physical world. We go, oh yeah, God's got something down there for me, and I'm heading for that. The second thing that we noted in our observation in Hebrews chapter 11 is that faith pleases the Father, and specifically, this is the faith that one believes that he is, confesses him as the great I am, the one singular only creator God of the universe. We sang a magnificent uh, song of worship of him as the great I am this morning. And that is magnificent truth that we were singing. And the faith that pleases God is the one that declares that and understands that as well as understanding this one who is the great I am is also well-intended towards us. The scripture says that he, um, he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that it merits our putting an effort to know him and to understand his work in the world today. Well, the third thing that we want to notice, make an observation on Hebrews chapter 11, is faith prioritizes our thinking. 
And we've not been to chapter verse 17 yet, so we're going to plow a little new ground here today. And uh, by no means are we going to be able to ever exhaust everything we could say about Hebrews chapter 11. But we pick it up in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. This was the son of promise, and God, in testing him, asked Abraham to sacrifice him. Well, how could the promise be fulfilled if the son has been killed? The text says Abraham believed God could raise him up. And so he never did kill his son. If you know the story, you can go back and read that. If not, but... By faith, he understood God could. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked... To the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had uh, received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me. See, the writer is understanding, even though he's given us all of these things of by faith, he's saying, I could go on, I could go on, I could go on. We don't have time to list all of those things. For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Magnificent accounts of great victories that God's people had by faith. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. 
Today we're considering this thought that faith prioritizes our thinking. And it does so in two ways. First of all, it prioritizes what we prize as our goal. That faith which believes that he is and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him prioritizes what we prize as our goal. See, Moses, verse 23, Moses, his parents, prioritized his safety over their own. See, they saw there was something, the text literally says he was a beautiful child, but there was something peculiar about him that they knew, and they believed by faith, there is a special plan for this child. There is something that our God is going to do. We cannot follow Pharaoh's edict and kill this boy. And so they kept him for three months at the risk of their own lives for disobeying Pharaoh. They kept him for three months, and then you know the story, if you're familiar with it, is that eventually they, by faith, the mom sends him off in a little basket floating. And God intervenes, and Pharaoh's daughter takes him out of the water, raises him in Pharaoh's household. But the parents prioritized Moses' safety because they believed God was going to do something special with this child over their own safety and their own security. And then, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses prioritized his lineage over his privilege. His lineage as a Hebrew child over his privilege of having been raised in the courts of Pharaoh as Pharaoh's daughter's son. And by faith, he said, I would rather identify with the people of my heritage than the people of my privilege. And imagine the privilege that would be his as being raised as Pharaoh's grandson. He prioritized affliction over pleasure, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin knowing that it was going to cost him something to identify with these people when he would have had available to him everything that riches and powers could provide in this world. And he said, I'll take the affliction, thank you. By faith, he understood there's something more. By faith, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure's in Egypt, that there was something more than just simply because he had all this good stuff here and all this that was available to him, there was something more and it was going to cost him. And he said, that's more valuable to me than all of these treasures that I have access to. And then the writer says, because he looked to the reward. By faith, he was living out what we considered in chapter 1 and what we considered uh, in our first, excuse me, our first message on chapter 11 and our second message on chapter 11, that God has something there 
that is out there yet, but it is seen as being right here. You can see it. It's real. That our God who is and who is faithful to his children will fulfill his promises to them. And he looked at that as more significant. And ultimately, by faith, Moses prioritized God over the king. For the text says, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. That's not what was going to bother him. For he endured, which means to bear up under. And this book is written to people who are needing to endure. And he is set forth as one who is enduring. He endured seeing him who is invisible. That's what we spoke earlier about the immaterial world connecting with our internal world. By faith, he is seeing something and he knows who God is and he knows what God is doing and he prioritized God over the king even though the king would want to ultimately try and kill him. Keeping the Passover and crossing the Red Sea, he was trusting God in both of those instances to deliver him from Pharaoh. And what Moses understood was that the king could never fulfill the longings in his heart like God was going to do. Moses was aware there's two kingdoms at stake here. And that, that huge account back in the book of Exodus, it really pitched one kingdom against the other, if you understand the narrative. That when Moses is given instruction to go back to Pharaoh and to say, God has sent me, and he says, let my people go, the battle is on. The battle is on for Who owns these people? As far as Pharaoh is concerned, they are his team of slaves. They are his workers. They are his property. And God sends Moses back into Pharaoh's court and says, Now tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the battle between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, now comes to a head. And Moses, by faith, knew He was aligning with the kingdom of light. He had his priorities in order. We've had another dust-up. Some of it because of our president's own way he goes about doing things. But in this particular case, I think in this last week, I really do believe he'd been given been given bad treatment, and that is on this one. He happens to call a woman who loses, was, did she lose her husband or her son? Her son. And in the context of the call, there's a congresswoman who is there. And I'm thinking he said it. But then he you know, gives you the impression he never said it, but I'm thinking he probably did when he said something to the effect of he knew what he was getting into. He knew what he'd signed up for. The congresswoman takes that and writes that off as this terrible, insensitive thing that he said. But it's true. And it's something that people who are in special forces do understand. They understand that they have priorities that say you know what, I'm willing to put my own security at risk so my nation could remain free. 
And the people in my country can continue to enjoy liberty. And I'm willing to do that. Because of his priorities and how he's willing to serve. And he was willing that we would have liberty for us over safety for himself. Moses prioritized at his own risk that it was better to serve God than to serve the king who's part and parcel of a dark kingdom. Faith prioritizes what we prize as our goal. Also, it prioritizes whom we idolize as our champions. Every time I read Hebrews chapter 11, and there's this long list, and you kind of go, okay, that's a lot of people to try and understand. You know, if the list ended in chapter 35, uh, excuse me, verse 35, halfway through the verse, women received their dead, raised to life again after this long list of all these people who had incredible victories because they lived by faith, any of us could say, this faith life is fun. That's what I want. I want the faith life because apparently the people who walk by faith, they continually have miraculous and amazing things happen that deliver them or deliver their young ones, and it's always good. The faith life would be easy if that's 100% of what it was. But the writer to Hebrews is honest when he says in the second part of verse 35, after listing these magnificent victories, says this, others, and now it turns, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And then it goes on to say they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. If that's what you're telling me is the faith life, it's like, yeah, maybe I won't sign up. Catch me the next time around and see if this looks like any better picture. But this one phrase is what I left out that hits me every single time I read this. Just before summing up this description of these people who went through torturous times and were not miraculously delivered out of them, the writer to Hebrews says this in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. They would look from the world's perspective like they were losers. They would look like it, they would look from the world's perspective like that was a stupid thing to do. They would look from the world's perspective, like they hadn't acted very wisely when, like with the first ones that are mentioned, uh, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They could have talked themselves out of it. They could have joined in with the world, could have joined in with the dark kingdom, and everything would have been fine if they just went along to get along. 
but they said no. I live for a different kingdom. I live for different values. And the writer to the Hebrew says, where it looks like the world won in every one of those circumstances, they are not worthy of those whom they tortured and constantly kept fleeing and put to death. Where the killers were not worthy of their victims. I mean, we see that in no more magnificent way, do we not, than when we consider the cross. When the religious and political elite and powerful of the day, because this itinerant preacher was creating a little too much issues and a little too hard-hitting and a little too close to home and getting a little bit too big of a following, he said, he's got to go. And they saw to it that they put him to death, illegally, unrighteously, thinking, okay, we got that one taken care of, and they went on. And they were not worthy of him. But it said of all, all of these. So when we consider this context, friends, of these two kingdoms that are constantly in contrast with one another. I think, I think Jesus gets at this a little bit in Mark chapter 8. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me, this is verse 38, it won't come on the screen, for whoever is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation. Mark adds those words. Of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I think he's saying, look, people, there's two kingdoms at work here. There's this adulterous, sinful kingdom which is swathed in darkness and consumes its own, and there is a kingdom of light where people find life and a relationship with the Father, and they are made whole. And if you're ashamed to identify with this in contrast to this, I just might be ashamed when I come for you. Faith prioritizes whom we idolize as our champions. Think about this for a second. Which system should we identify with? Should we identify with a system that lionizes Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee and criticizes Tim Tebow for doing the same? Think about that. Tim Tebow was mocked for taking a knee in prayer. Colin Kaepernick is being hailed as a hero by some for taking a knee during the national anthem. Which system are we going to identify with? Both of them quarterbacks who showed great promise, enough to get a contract, and then after playing a, a, a bit of time, they didn't quite have it. Both of them. Their NFL careers had some similarities to them. But our system honors one who wore socks in one game depicting policemen as pigs 
and it humiliates the other who simply is trying to live out his faith and honor the God whom he serves. See, it's the systems I'm trying to get us to understand, friends. Not these individual people, the systems. The adulterous generation that rules the worldly system right now. And is that what we want as where we find our heroes? Is that where we're looking for our champions? To buy into what they will tell us? How about a system? This has been, and you'll know who I mean. I want to get real graphic with it. We have some young kids here. But how about a system that keeps a Hollywood movie mogul in place and people know, people absolutely know and protect him in terms of what he is doing with the young starlets coming his way and now they're all coming out. But this has been going on for decades and people knew the system that was in place. That's on the one hand. And people from that same system, who if you will recall a little, uh, not too many months ago, when we had an election going on, and there was a man selected to be vice president candidate by the name of Mike Pence, and it came out, it, it, it was told in the news that here's how he deals with women. He will not meet with a woman alone. He won't go without his wife to an event that serves, that where there will be women that serves alcohol. Do you remember how he was castigated for that, about keeping women down and, and uh, he doesn't trust women? All this negative stuff for a man who was trying to walk righteously and in an upright manner. And the system says, you are to be trashed. All the while it has been protecting a truly lecherous man who uses his power and his position to take advantage of women. Which are we going to say, I want my champions to come from there. And we come to understand when we compare the systems, I don't want that system. I want something else. That's what, that's what Moses did when we looked at him earlier. By faith he forsook, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He knew, here's the king's system, and it's part of a dark kingdom. And here's God's system. There's light and holiness and goodness there. He said, I want this system. Because faith now has prioritized his thinking to the degree that he knew he was, who he was going to idolize as a champion and it wasn't going to be the king that he looked up to. Let's wrap this up, friends. In prioritizing our thinking, faith doesn't demand an immediate outcome because it believes in an ultimate one. As we're choosing between these systems, as we're trying to understand what should our priorities be, Faith doesn't demand an immediate outcome because some of these people didn't get delivered because it believes in an ultimate one. Verse 39, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. And that goes all the way back to the first ones that were mentioned. 
Back in starting about verse 3. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And what faith understands, to tidy up those verses, what faith understands is this. From the time when Adam and Eve fell and God promised that the seed of the woman would come, who would be the answer to this problem of sin that has now entered into mankind, from that time on, God has been working out a plan of redemption, which ultimately we are going to see fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. And there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. This is not an eschatology study. But each of us, at some point along that process, as God has reached into our lives, as he has sought to draw us into his kingdom, out of the dark kingdom, each of us are along a timeline somewhere there. Whether the Old Testament saints, whether the New Testament saints we can read about in us, literally millennia later, and it will continue to be that until... Eventually, when Christ returns, when this whole redemptive plan is in its fulfillment and completely, completely laid out. Until the fullness of it comes, it's not done. And we may not see the kinds of results that we want to see right now. But faith says, I know what God is doing. And I will continue to live for this. Faith prioritizes our thinking. You know, as I've tried to draw this contrast between the two kingdoms, it is so easy for us to idolize the rich, the famous, the powerful, the beautiful, right? They just got that life. And somehow with that, we think they have some special understanding on life. We think they now, we, we allow them to commentate on life and right and wrong and morality. We just go right along with it. Jimmy Kimmel, okay, yeah, he's the guy who now is going to, uh, is going to be the moral arbiter of things that are happening in the world today. Even though there is film, he had a TV show that was based upon objectifying women. That was what the show was about. But now he's our moral arbiter on all things relative to what's happening in our world today. I want to tell you something, friends. I want to tell you something. I've been convinced of this for years, and it's why I count it a privilege to minister here. Do you know how we have two serving counters in this church out of the kitchen? A woman by the name of Janice Olson. Aren't that right, Peggy? And that building committee, she served on... She said, we've got to have two serving counters. She took us to churches that had two serving counters. And Janice Olson is the reason that we have that. Do you know outside of this little area, do you know who knows Janice Olson? Nobody! Janice Olson died, how many years ago would you guess, to make Judy? Eight, ten years ago maybe now? I want to tell you something about Janice Olson. The woman lived a hard life. She did not see the deliverances in these other things. She had an abusive husband. He took his own life by first calling in the previous pastor here, Carol's dad, called him over to his home, and then killed himself in front of that previous pastor. 
Earl Eveland, the children have been seriously marked by that. Then they receive the humiliation of the people around them because of this, because of this mark on their family. But I'll tell you what, Janice Olson would come and she would sing a song of praise to God on a Sunday morning and you knew this comes out of the crucible of life. And it comes out of the crucible of a painful life. And if you got to know Janice, you understood she was simply trusting God day by day by day. Never saw the deliverance until one day she went out to her car. She died in the driver's seat, never pulled out of the parking lot. But she loved the Lord and she was trusting him. Friends, that's the hero. And what I count so exciting about serving here and why I count this such a blessing is because I could identify person after person after person after person right here in this fellowship who are never going to be famous, never going to be well-known, never going to, anybody's going to look up to them, but they desire that their lives count for Jesus Christ and they are looking to serve him on a daily basis and to know his work in their lives. And I am absolutely sure that when we get to glory, all of these powerful, important people that we have looked up to, and God gives out the rewards, and God states his blessing, these people, sit down, back row, if you're in here at all, you mean nothing, Janice Olson, come here. Because you have lived out the life of faith. May God help us understand that there is a kingdom looking to consume us that has nothing for us. And there is a kingdom for whom the King of Kings is Jesus Christ and he desires to redeem us, bring wholeness into our life and we may not see it all in this day, even in this life, but the day will come. When all things are put in order and we will understand he has done all things well. And may we seek him and him alone on a daily basis. Father, thank you. Thank you for this, this, this magnificent testimony of those who had great victories. But those also, Father, who did not see it, but they trusted you. And enable us, strengthen us to endure that we might live in the kingdom of light regardless of what the kingdom of darkness throws at us, that we will have a faith that is pleasing to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.